Amen. So glad you're here. Uh, if I haven't met you before, I'd love to. I am, as Catherine just did, it's such a great... Y'all have such... I know you know this. Y'all are blessed with such a great team. I mean, from worship to welcome to production, God has really done amazing things through them. I know you know that, but as Catherine said, I'm typically at Malden, our campus at Malden, which is about 18 months old. Uh, God is doing some great things there. I'm excited uh, Carrie, my wife, and I to be there and lead there, but I'm always excited to come out and see our other campuses and see all that God is doing, and he certainly is doing something unique and amazing here at Five Forks, and so I know you're excited about that. Today, we continue our series in Scent. As you see on the screen, we're in Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn there. Uh, we started Acts chapter 5 last week. Uh, if you were here, we talked about Ananias and Sapphira. Um, and so we continue today to talk about um, what God was doing in the church and through his apostles to expand the influence of the kingdom. Uh, if I could give you, <clears throat> excuse me, one word that would, I think, sum up what we're going to really talk about today is opposition. Opposition. Now, some, some synonyms for that struggle, conflict, resistance. And what we're going to see in Acts 5 is that as the apostles uh, continue to reach that area of Jerusalem, so they're still centrally located in Jerusalem, if you remember or if you know Acts 1-8, if you were here for the start of the series or you just know that passage, uh, Jesus says to his disciples that you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. They are still in Jerusalem. They haven't moved out from that yet. But what we, are, what we are seeing is over and over again, numbers of people being added to the fellowship, to the faith community as the gospel expands, as the apostles and other believers reach those with the gospel message, it expands, it continues to move. And as that happens, which I believe is true throughout scripture, we definitely see it here and all through the book of Acts is that God uses, and I think even more than uses, I, I wish I could really get a stronger word for that. Uh, I, I believe God uses opposition. I believe it is woven into his plan from the very beginning. Opposition, conflict, resistance to the gospel message to actually expand the gospel witness. And I think you see opposition happening all the way back in the Old Testament, running all the way through the New Testament, and especially as the church age begins, as we've studied in Acts 1 and all the way through. We definitely see how opposition, and you'll continue to see it. We start today, you'll see it through the book of Acts. Opposition grows as the gospel witness expands. Opposition to the gospel um, grows, becomes stronger, as the kingdom, God's kingdom, his rule on earth expands and advances. When God's people, those who follow Christ, live their faith out in an authentic way, in other words, in a way where other people can look at your life and say, man, there's something different about that individual. I knew them before, but there's something significantly different about their life now which is the case when we come into a relationship with Christ. We are not the same as we were before. That's not me saying that, that's scripture saying that. You are a new creature. 
Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. We do not remain the same in our behavior after we come into a relationship with Christ because we are not the same inside. We are now empowered with the Spirit, transformed. Our mind starts thinking differently. Our heart starts to desire different things. And so as that happens and as we live that reality out in our life, opposition to that message continues to grow. And we definitely see it in the early church. So anyone who has breath, in other words, anybody here this morning, anybody who's alive will face opposition, struggle, conflict, resistance. You know, that's not what separates one person from another. We live in a fallen world. You're going to always face some sort of opposition, some sort of conflict, some sort of struggle. This morning coming to church may have been, as I said earlier, you may have gotten on the struggle bus just to get here this morning to get ready and come to church. You may be facing something in your life right now that is overwhelming you, the opposition that you're facing, the struggle that you're facing, the conflict that you're facing. We live in a fallen world where sin dominates, and until Christ comes again and restores his creation fully, we will always face that kind of opposition, that struggle. So if you're here this morning and you're alive, you're facing it. That's not what separates you from me, that I face opposition and you don't. What separates us many times is how we respond to that opposition. How do you respond to it? Especially, specifically today, when it comes to your faith. If you're here this morning and you claim to be a Christ follower, when you face opposition for that, and this is for any age range, kids in school, going to school, facing it among their peers, in classrooms, with teachers, with administration, opposition, in your workplace, in your relationships at home, in those things you like to do outside of the home, leisure activities, sports, whatever the environment you're in, when you live your faith out, which is what we're commanded to do in front of those other, or in those other environments, among others who do not share your same belief system, how do you respond to it? Do you try to find a way around it? Is it the, is it the path of least resistance for you? I'll be honest with you and say that's happened to me in my life where I knew the opposition was going to be there, but I decided I'm going to go this way so I don't face that opposition. I don't have to go against that struggle. I don't have to do that. What we're going to see today in this passage is a group of disciples, apostles, those who have seen Christ themselves, no matter what scenario they find themselves in, no matter what the opposition looks like, continue to boldly live their witness out wherever God has them. And I think it's the same challenge you and I have today. We may not be hauled in front of a council and beaten and let go. I doubt many of us will, if any. But you face your own opposition. You face your own struggle with those who do not believe as you do. Are you going to just go around it? Or are you going to live out your faith in front of them no matter what the opposition will be? Today in Acts, we read a section that gives us an example of how the early followers of Jesus... These apostles and others responded to opposition. So there'll be four points for us this morning, and I believe how we should respond as well. That's going to be the application for you and I today. As we study God's word, there should always be this kind of process. What does God's word say? What did the author mean for it to say as you study it, as you read it? Once you come to that conclusion, then what does it mean for me? 
The meaning is the same. The author had one intent uh, on the meaning. We find out what that meaning is, and then we apply that meaning to our life. And what I want to do today before we leave is apply that meaning to your life and to my life because it's very relevant for Christ followers in any generation. So what I want to do is read Acts 5. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Acts 5, beginning with verse 34. It'll also be on the screen, and you can follow along with me there. It says, But a Pharisee in the council named uh, Gamaliel, a teacher of the law. Now, if that name is familiar to some of you, then, then you, if you've studied your, the Bible at any length, you probably know that's the religious leader, the Pharisee, who actually saw, who became Paul, studied underneath. So a significant figure during that time. That's the guy who's standing up at the Sanhedrin, at the council. That's the same council that condemned Jesus to death not a few chapters earlier in the Gospels. Same one. And they're standing in front of them. They've been dismissed. This guy stands up, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside. That's speaking about the apostles. The men outside for a little while. In other, they, in other words, they dismissed them, which was typical of that kind of proceeding. They dismissed the, the party that was there to be interrogated. them to leave so they could talk. And here's what he said to them. Men of Israel, take care of what you're about to do with these men. For before these days, Theodos rose up claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I tell you, Keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. And charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Now, you may think, well, they, got, they still got tried and beaten. Well, initially what they wanted to do was kill them, if you read back a little bit. The leaders, the high priests, were so incensed with the message of Peter, they wanted to kill them. And that's when Gamaliel stands up and says, hey, hold on. So this is what they decided to do. They beat them. They charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. That's the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease in teaching and preaching that the Christ, in other words, the Messiah, the Savior of his people, people is Jesus. Father, thank you for the opportunity to study your word again as we continue in this series on Acts. Uh, my prayer is, is that we would see how these early disciples, these early believers responded in the face of opposition. We would understand that opposition is a part of your plan, I believe, in our lives as we live out our faith in a hostile world to advance the gospel in your kingdom. And so I pray as we look at this story, it would be a challenge to us if we haven't lived that faith out authentically, consistently in front of others. 
It would challenge us, but it also would encourage us that just as these lived out their faith tangibly in the face of opposition, so can we. And so I, I pray as we read your word and we study it that what we are not yet, you would make us through the study of your word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've, we've all seen a movie, a TV episode, maybe you're watching one now, where when the movie starts, it begins with the final scene of the movie, right? That's where it starts, and then it fades, and maybe down at the bottom or somewhere on the screen after it fades to black, it says 24 hours earlier or a week prior, and it goes all the way back, and it leads you back to that final scene in the movie, Right, those who are in the film industry, I had to look this up. I'm not. I didn't know what this was, but I did look it up. They call this a frame story. In other words, it's a story within a story. The passage that we just read was a frame story. I couldn't read or didn't want to read that entire passage from 12 to 42. So what I gave you was a glimpse of the end of the story with a religious leader standing up and saying, hey, hold on. Let's make sure before we proceed in what you want to do with these guys, that it is either of God or of man. And they took his advice. And so that little snippet gives us a glimpse of, or at least, should, at least should cause us to ask the question of what happened before. How did it get to this point? And as we go through our points today, what we want to do is flash back to that and let, us, let you see in on what was going on that brought those apostles to stand right in front of the council to be judged, to be interrogated. So when we're talking about a, a opposition, we're going to see it firsthand in Acts chapter 5. When the response to opposition that results in hardship is commitment or faithfulness, growth and development can occur. So that's kind of the big idea for this morning is this, faithfulness to God in the face of opposition advances the mission of the church. Faithfulness to God in the face of opposition advances the mission of the church. That's not church corporately, although it is. It needs to apply to you individually as you are called into the environments you are called into, where God has placed you. You and I, as Christ followers, are meant, are commanded to live out our faith in that environment boldly as a witness to the faith that we claim. When we do that, opposition to that message will arise. It may not be, and I would dare say it probably wouldn't for any of us in America at this time in our life, it may not result in you being brought before a council, charged, beaten, and let go. I would say this, though. This is a bit of a side, and we don't have time for it this morning. I'm not sure that we are, we, are, we are too far from you living your faith out, worshiping the way you want to worship, believing in the way you want to believe, and living that out authentically, boldly in front of other people will not soon result in more and more and more opposition, even in our culture. Uh, it's, we see it around the world. If you want to do a quick study on the fastest growing churches in the world, you know where you'll find it? Iran, China, places where it is illegal and you could be put to death for believing this way, for believing scripture. And out, throughout church history, you can do your own study. Go, go through church history. During the times of severe persecution is when the church explodes, is when the kingdom advances. 
And so that's why I think we can look all the way through Scripture, and I believe God has used and is using and has woven opposition and conflict into his purposes for advancing the kingdom. And he's called you and I to live our faith out in that way so he could accomplish his purposes in the world. I'd like to affirm a a couple of broad truths from Scripture, kind of a funnel approach. Uh, We'll start broad, and then we'll wind it down or, or get narrow as we get to the points. But... A few things that I think help us understand Acts 5 and what's going on in Acts a little bit better. The first overarching truth is this. Suffering is normal for a Christ follower. It's not abnormal. It's not uncommon. Now, you may not have experienced it in the way that we we read in Scripture. But what we read in Scripture is normal for those who follow Christ and live their faith out in a world that is diametrically opposed to that message. And there have been seasons in my life, and maybe you can relate to this, seasons in my life where I have lived my life, and and I, I would say it this way, but it really wasn't, lived out my faith in such comfort, never living it out in such a way that confronted others who are not Christ followers with a message of the truth. And so it's been pretty comfortable in seasons of my life where I could pretty much go throughout my day and it never would be opposition to that message. And I would just say to you, for me during that season of my life, I was not living obedient to what we read about in Scripture. I was not living in such a way where I was living boldly the witness and the faith that I claim to be a Christ follower. I think when we do that, when we're living that out, suffering for us is normal. The second broad message or broad truth, I would say, the message of the gospel, it is transformational, but it is also confrontational. The message of the gospel transforms our hearts. We know that about the gospel. Belief in Christ, admitting we're sinners, admitting that we need him as our savior, believing in him, repenting of that sin and asking him to save us. That message is transformational, but it's also confrontational. And all you need to do is uh, really kind of read a passage or a verse from Acts chapter 5 in in the chapter we're in where it says these religious leaders, when they heard this message from Peter, this is how they responded. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. When the gospel is lived out authentically, opposition increases because the message and the exclusive claims of the gospel are confrontational. In our culture today, if you were to say to most people, Jesus is the only way, that's an exclusive claim, that's confrontational to a lot of people. I don't make that up. Jesus himself said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Those are his words. When we begin to live that out, those kind of truths, that gospel message is confrontational to those who do not believe that. And the last broad truth I would say is God is faithful even in those situations, right? Even when suffering is normal, when the gospel message is transformational yet confrontational, I would say also, Scripture bears this out, God is faithful to accomplish his purposes and his will. In your life and in my life, as we live out our faith. His will cannot be, if you want to use this old King James word, thwarted. It cannot be held back. His will and his purposes go forward. God is faithful to do that as we live our faith out in an authentic kind of way. So 
Getting to our points this morning, if you're taking notes, how do we respond in opposition? When opposition faces us, when you live your faith out in a real authentic way, then how do you and I respond? There's a right way, and I think there's a wrong way. So we're going to look at four of those ways this morning from the passage. The first one is this, trust God wherever you are. Trust God wherever you are. Wherever God has placed you in your life right now, whether it's work, school, friends, family, whatever, whatever environment, whatever scenario he's placed you in. Trust God wherever you are. Looking back at the story beginning in chapter 12, if you begin to read, you'll understand that the Spirit is continuing to move in a mighty, miraculous way through the apostles, even to the point where there are signs and there's wonders and there's miracles happening and people from all over Jerusalem, from the villages surrounding it, are coming into Jerusalem to the point where many of them are being laid along the road by those who are friends or family just in the hopes that the shadow of Peter, as he walked by them, would touch them and heal them. Powerful moves of the Spirit. Powerful works and wonders and miracles happening through the apostles. And just like it was with Christ in his time, when that began to happen and his ministry began to unfold, and he was healing and teaching and preaching, it drew attention to him it drew attention to the apostles. And guess what happened? The religious leaders didn't like it. And they began to try to address it. They began to try to stamp it out. And that's what starts that opposition. They were arrested, these apostles, and this, you can read about it in this chapter. They were arrested, imprisoned, encouraged to do by the angel who, who got them out of prison. They were, they were put into what was called a public prison. That's not a prison that you would think of today. Public prisons were literally that. They were put out in the middle of the crowds. People were jailed in a public prison. It was a form of humiliation as well as incarceration. They were put inside that prison so that everybody could see them. And in that moment, an angel of the Lord comes and gets them out of prison. And as he gets them, as this angel gets the the apostles out, his instructions to them was to go right back to where they got arrested and continue to do what they were doing. And they went. They trusted. They were put on trial. They were beaten. They were threatened. Trust requires belief. When you came in and picked out your chair this morning that you're sitting in, you had a belief that that chair was built in such a way where it would hold your weight or you wouldn't sit in it. So far this morning, two services has gone well. So far in this service, so far, nobody has fallen out of their chair. Chair is held. You believed that it would. You trusted that that chair would hold you up. The, the apostles Being with Jesus, seeing him face to face, trusted in him that no matter where he sent them, he was going to be faithful. The apostles believed. Their faith at this point was unshakable. You could not say that about them just a few chapters earlier. And if you remember the story of the crucifixion, when Jesus was crucified, what happened to the apostles? They ran to another room and hid. They hid away. They locked the door. Why? Well, they were scared to death. That what just happened to their leader, they were in disbelief that that even happened, but what just happened to their leader would happen to them. And yet, just a few chapters later in the book of Acts, we see apostles willing to give their very life for that name. Now, this is not an apologetic on the resurrection. We'll get to that in a few weeks when we get to Easter. You'll hear more about that, right? But I would say this, if you're looking for one, if you're here today and you're a skeptic, 
about this Jesus and him being uh, him rising from the dead, being, being ro- uh, risen from the dead. Th- here's what I would say to you. Take a band of apostles who just a few weeks earlier were hiding and, and fearing for their life. And then now, just in the few chapters into Acts, look at those same apostles and look how bold they were in the face of this kind of opposition and persecution. That kind of thing doesn't happen to a group of people who do not know for sure and do not have full confidence that their Savior and Lord was resurrected and lives. It changed them completely. They trusted and they believed in God and his plan and his purposes. When we trust, we trust in God's purpose, that God orchestrates each circumstance and experience of your life. What, 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 if, if someone were to ask you this morning, what, what is God's ultimate purpose in life? I would say pretty confidently from reading God's word and studying it, it is for his glory. God's purpose is to glorify himself. And it is secondarily for our good. When we trust in God to that point where his purposes become primary, then we can trust him in whatever situation we're in, however difficult it may be. So we trust in God's purpose. I would say, secondly, we also trust in God's provision. In other words, in fulfilling his purpose. God will supply all your needs according, and you could probably finish the statement, according to his riches and glory. God's provision is what we trust in, his purposes and his provision. Would you say, as we finish this first point up and go to the second point, would you say that you're a trusting person? Especially when it comes to living your faith out. Do you trust fully that God will supply all of your needs according to his riches? Do you trust fully in him that he will work out his purposes in your life? That the things that you not want, but the things that you need, he will provide. There will be, there will be times in my life where I will say, yes, I can do that. I have done that. And there will be seasons in my life where I say, no, I haven't done that well. I think in the life of the apostles, we see that clearly. So first, we trust. Secondly, we witness at every opportunity. We witness at every opportunity. Now, witness is just one of those words that means living our faith out in front of others. What we believe. We witness verbally by living our faith out. Whatever scenario you have the opportunity to do, you live your faith out. You witness at every opportunity. The apostles, even in the face of arrest, even in the face of jail, even in the face of possible execution, were bold witnesses for Christ. It it seems as if even the opposition itself was the catalyst for it. In other words, it seems as if even the opposition itself created the environment for the gospel to move forward, for the apostles to bear witness about Christ. The apostles' witness grew stronger, it grew bolder, the greater the opposition. You You would think it would have... The opposite effect. As the opposition grows, a lot of times we fade away, melt away, move away, uh, choose the, the path of least resistance. Not with the apostles. As the opposition grew, their witness grew bolder and stronger. Now, what can diminish my witness? What can diminish your witness? Whether it's at school with some of your friends or in classrooms or at work. There are things that can diminish that faith. And I think the first one is fear. What, what actually will happen if I stand up for what I really believe in? 
What will happen to me? Will I lose my job? Will I lose some friends? Will I not get that promotion? Will I have to end a relationship if I begin to stand up for what I really believe in? Fear many times keeps us from having that bold witness. I think a second thing is doubt. Will God do what he said he was going to do? Will he be faithful to accomplish his purposes, his glory for my good? Will, will it happen that way? You begin to doubt. I remember when I was younger, I came to Christ when I was a, a child. There have been times in my life where I've done it real well. There have been times where I have it. There are peaks and valleys for all of us as we live our faith out uh, in, in the circumstances God has called us to. All of us have good seasons and bad seasons when we are being obedient and faithful to witness. But I will say this, no matter how good it's been or how bad it's been, maybe another way to say it is no matter how faithful I've been to do it or how unfaithful. I have been to do it. God has always been faithful. He has never not, it's terrible grammar, done what he said he was going to do. There is no one else in your life you can say that about who hasn't let you down, who hasn't disappointed. It may not have turned out the way you wanted it to turn out. But God's purposes have been fulfilled in your life. He has been faithful. And so doubt many times can keep us from having that bold witness. And the last one, I think, is just clear disobedience. When God tells us to go do, when God gives us the opportunity to witness, we disobey that and we move the other way, choose to not face the opposition, the resistance, not to risk the job or the promotion or the relationship, and keep quiet. And not stand up and be a bold witness for him. In, in, in clear disobedience to what God has called us to do. To be a witness for him wherever we are. That leads us to the third point. If disobedience is one of those things that, that takes, uh, takes away that bold witness, then that third point says this. Obey God no matter what. The disciples, the apostles here did. Faced with the opportunity on, on at least two uh, different occasions, at least in this passage from verse 12 to verse 42, they had at least two opportunities where they could have taken, uh, taken the, the path of least resistance. They could have agreed with the, the, the Sanhedrin. They could have not gone back into the temple after the angel released them from prison and told them to go back and not face the same opposition again. They had opportunities to not do, but they were obedient to what God and what Christ had commanded them to do, that you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. When we obey, no matter what, here's what, here's what happens. We affirm our dependence on God. When we obey, no matter what, we affirm our dependence on on God. God, you know, and here's what you're saying. When you obey, God, you know better than I do. Like he needs to hear that from us. You know better than I do. And when I obey what you're calling me to do, I'm affirming my dependence on you. Not that I have it all together. Not that I am Mr. Ind independent, but that I am dependent on you to do what only you can do. We also affirm God's authority. We, we obey which affirms the dependence, we also obey out of a reverence for his position, being over all. 
Ephesians chapter 4, that God the Father is, is in all and the source of all things. So when I obey him, here's where this comes into really tension for you and I, into attention for you and I. There's a sense of pride here where we don't want to submit ourselves to the clear direction of God. Pride gets in the way. We are unwilling to humble ourselves before him. And that's a dangerous position to be in. Where we feel like we've got it all figured out. And we only need God when we get in a crunch or in a pickle. Or whatever word you want to use for it. When, though, when we get into a situation where we desperately need God, then we cry out. Otherwise, we've got it. That's not humbling ourselves under the authority of God. Understanding that in Him is all things. Lastly, we rejoice whatever the outcome. We rejoice whatever the outcome. Here's, a, here's kind of a summary statement for using those points we just covered to help illustrate this. One whose heart and mind is in a position to trust God in every situation. One who desires to witness boldly at every opportunity and one who seeks to obey no matter what. That kind of person with those qualities, with that characteristic, those characteristics, develops a faith that can rejoice whatever the outcome. If it turns out great, we rejoice. If it turns out where I'm beaten like the apostles, we rejoice and everything in between. Why? Because I trust, I'm a bold witness, and I'm obedient. In that person, faith is developed where no matter the outcome for you and I, because ultimately we know as Christ followers, we know what the ultimate outcome is. We know that the war has been won. We trust in that. It may not end up well for us here, but one day it will. And we can rejoice in those scenarios and those situations, no matter the outcome. Rejoicing, it says, if you look back in your Bibles at that verse, rejoicing after they were beaten, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. It says that they were charged not to share, but before they were charged and released, they were actually beaten. What that is, is the practice of 40 lashes minus one, so 39 lashes. It was an ancient practice. They would bring the individual in, they would put them on their knees in front of them, and they would take a whip that had leather straps on the end, sometimes with stuff that was tied into it, at least knots in, that, in those straps. And they would be beaten once across the chest and twice across the back. And that would happen until they reached 39 lashes. Every one of the disciples experienced that before they were charged not to tell anymore and let go. It's out of that experience that scripture says they rejoiced. That they were, not that they were alive, not that they made it out without dying, but that they were counted worthy to suffer. When we rejoice in our sufferings, as the apostles did, when you get the opportunity to trust and witness and obey, and yet 
you, you are facing opposition and it's, it's hard and it's difficult, but you have an opportunity to rejoice in that suffering, counting yourself worthy. Here's what you do. You exalt the cross because Christ did it for you. He had his eye on the cross going straight forward. God, let this cup pass from me. He prayed the night before, but not my will, but yours be done. He went to the cross. So we exalt the cross because Christ suffered for us. We also extinguish our self-reliance, our independence from him. That's gone. We trust fully in him. Here's the final thought for this morning. We'll close. Above all else, above all else, God desires followers who will love him more than life itself. That's what he's after. That's what the apostles did. Their life didn't mean anything to them anymore. It was only being obedient to the command of Christ to boldly share my faith wherever that took me. So for you and I this morning to apply this, you may be here this morning, you're facing all kinds of opposition. Friends who are making fun of you, coworkers who kind of turn their back on you and shun you because of your Christian beliefs, family members who won't talk to you, in the face of that kind of opposition as you're living out your faith here's what I think we should do just like we just talked about trust God that his purposes are being completed in my life Philippians 1 6 what he has started he will complete so trust God if you're facing opposition witness for him in the face of the opposition don't be a jerk don't hit him over the head with the Bible Live your faith out authentically. Just by trusting in what you know from Scripture, you are making and having a bold witness for Him. Obey God, no matter where He sends you. No matter what, obey Him. And then last, rejoice in every outcome. Whatever the outcome is, rejoice in that. When we live that way, when we face opposition that way, the way that the apostles did in Acts 5, and are faithful to what God has called us to do, the gospel and the kingdom advances and the mission of the church is accomplished through your obedience and trust and bold witness and rejoicing in the face of opposition. Father, thank you for the opportunity today to hear your word, to study it. It's a challenge to me. I'm guessing it's a challenge to those in the room it's also an encouragement to me that all I should do all I need to do is not try to figure it out on my own but to trust to witness boldly to obey no matter what and God whatever the outcome whether good or bad or anything in between to, to, to rejoice that you counted me and us worthy to suffer for your honor and for your name. There is not a bolder witness out there and that's what you called us to be in this world. And I pray this in Jesus' name.